And every time you beat yourself up like that, you reinforce that subconscious identity, that subconscious fear. And honestly, that's your, that's a person's subconscious identity and deep, deep, deep in the subconscious, all communication is visual. There's only pictures down there. So when you get down to the organic pictures and you change a picture from I'm not worthy into a picture of love, it's powerful. It is impossible to anticipate where the two monsters which suddenly appeared in the atomic area will attack next. If your power goes out, remain calm. We're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 26 of the First Sit Podcast. Today's guest is a first for me and Dikembe. We have on Dennis Carroll. Dennis is a client of mine that I met through work. He's a friend now. Um, and Dennis is the owner and founder of Premier Life Coaching. That is what Dennis does. He's a life coach. And this episode is going to be centered around why he chose it, what got him into the profession, what are typical problems that he sees with the clients and what he recommends to the average everyday person. Mm -hmm. um, and with that being said, Dennis, thanks for coming on, sir. Welcome. Thank you both for having me. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's actually a cool field that, that I feel like is becoming more prevalent. I told you, I had so many questions because we, we've had a lot of people on the podcast so far who talk about doing well you know in their field or being at a certain point in their life but then we always kind of narrowed it down and said it wasn't until that they they met somebody else who got them to that next level correct and i'm interested to hear you know when when we were talking about uh dennis earlier i was interested to see if this is where you come in right are you that person that we would go to and say man we think we're doing great here 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 but i can't get to that next step are you that coach for me or maybe I, i'm completely I, 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 I did have a massive transition but i wasn't in a i wasn't in a good place so mm. i wasn't feeling like i'm doing good and i can get to the next level although i do coach a lot of people like that but i was in a really bad place for a really long time and i literally had gotten diagnosed with severe chronic depression ptsd moods i don't know where that came from but i was never in the service i was never abused <laughs> um i uh, had mood swing disorder quote unquote and all these labels were were put on me from the professionals, the experts, the doctors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you listen to that and then you believe it, well, you know, I have a real problem. But I remember thinking one thing, if I buy into this diagnosis and I believe what they're telling me, I'm pretty much screwed. I mean, I'm never going to be able to get over this because this is something outside of me that I had no control over. And I, back then I was running a gym, which I still own today, and I was working as a personal trainer. And I was helping people, but it wasn't, it just wasn't fulfilling enough for me. I knew I had more inside of me and I just couldn't find a way to uncover it. And back then I had this map, okay, of what had to happen to get happy, what had to happen in order for me to be happy. And so I thought if I, if I could make more money, then I would get married, then I would be happy, right? Because I was single and I didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. And so that map is like walking to the horizon in order to get to the horizon, Every step you take, it's a step away from you. So I ended up going to a life coach who I thought was going to actually help me write a business plan. Ended up in his program. And if you could calibrate my level of fulfillment, happiness and fulfillment on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, I was at a two on a good day. Right? And a bad day when I would go into a depressed state, I would go to a negative two where I really didn't even want to be alive. 
but I was never someone who would kill myself. And I always mm. had that hope, right? So if you average a two and a negative two, average them out, you get a big fat zero, right, guys? And I was just existing. I literally was jumping out of airplanes back then because that made me feel like I was the man, right? I didn't care if I lived or died. I started riding a dirt bike at age 40. And at age 49, I was jumping the thing as far as I could. I had no business doing the wow. behavior I was doing. But I'm, could you be good? say something? No, I was just, I was just <laughs> going to say, wow. Well, so, no, so, no, I was moving because 49, jumping a dirt bike. Yeah, I was jumping a dirt bike and I was having a lot of fun, but I really still wasn't fulfilled. I mean, that those behaviors would help me to meet my needs, but I couldn't sustain them. Mm-hmm. I could attain them, but not sustain them. So I go to a life coach and on the sixth session of this eight session program, well, I have to back up a little bit. I always had this feeling in my gut and I was, it, it was very prevalent to me. I couldn't shake it. And the feeling literally was in my gut and rotated this way, but it was down lower. I know you can't see down lower. And that feeling was very, very strong. And a feeling told me that I was not enough. Okay? It doesn't make any sense to me anymore. But back then, I believed it. And the universal fears are that we're not enough, or that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not whatever, right? And we're not capable. I've heard dozens of iterations of it, but it all means the same thing. That means if that's true, you want to keep that to yourself because people find that out. Now, this isn't logical, okay? But this is emotional, and the logic and emotion don't always go together. So emotionally, if people found that out, then they wouldn't give me love. And it was the one thing I wanted more than anything in the world, and I felt unworthy of it, so I was unable to attain it. So I go into my coach's office on the sixth session, and my fear that I was not enough had come down from a 10, with 10 being the worst, to about an 8, which is still really, really strong. But I had done some homework. And the homework up here, I got it. I got that it was a story. I got that it was stupid. And I got that I was going to do whatever I could to change my life because it was this belief and this feeling was costing me everything that was important to me. And so when I went into his office, he didn't even say hello to me. He just looks at me and goes, Do you get it? And I'm like, Do I get why? He goes, Do you get that you're enough? Now, I got it up here, but I still had a feeling that down in my gut. So when I went to answer him, I looked away. I went, yeah, I get it. And I looked back. And we're, we're trained to watch people's eye patterns and body movement. That's all mm-hmm. the subconscious processing mm-hmm. part of the training goes with it. And he goes, yeah, but you're still holding on. So he tells me to stand up in his office and close my eyes. And I thought that was pretty strange. But we had good rapport and I paid the guy. So he's not telling me to run out in traffic. So I, you know, I closed my eyes. I stand up, close my eyes. And he tells me to think of a memory. That a memory, real memory you can play in your head of a time you felt love on a scale of one to ten, like a nine or a ten. So I replayed a memory of a time I was on the beach with my ex-girlfriend at an all-inclusive, and I played this memory in my head. I could actually feel the emotion of love manifest in my body, in the center of my body. And all of our emotions do that. They all manifest in a spot. And he said, when you can feel that at like a nine or ten, he goes, I want you to bring your hand up. Because I want you to put the feeling in your hand and let your subconscious give it a shape and a color. So I'm standing in his office and I got my eyes closed and I'm thinking this is very strange. And all of a sudden in my mind's eye, a white ball about the size of a softball appeared in my hand. So he asked me a bunch of questions about it. So it's a big or small, hard or soft, heavier, light, rough or smooth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, he says to me, I'm going to back up here so you can see me. He says to me, it's like magic. It won't change shape. It won't change color. It won't leave your hand. You can put your hand down. And I go like this. I'm still holding a ball that's not my hand. And I don't realize it, but I'm in a hypnotic trance at that point. 
but it doesn't feel like hypnosis. And my concept of hypnosis back then is you're lying on a couch and you're out of it, right? So he tells me to relax my hand. You know, because you don't have to hold it, relax your hand. So I do that. And he helps me to put the feeling that was in my gut in my other hand and do the same process. And what the picture in my other hand was, was a coffin, dark gray coffin. And it was shaped like a uh, coffin you would see in an old Western movie, map like that, right? And so he tells me to bring the white ball back up. He says, in a moment, I want you to start pouring the white into the gray. And as you do, the coffin is going to change shape and color. And eventually, you're going to have two identical pictures in each hand. He then starts to proceed, he proceeds to yell at me in his office. Ready, set, go. Pour one in the gray, one in the gray. Go, go, go. Fast, fast. And I remember leaning away from him. And I'm pouring <laughs> nothing, nothing, right? And, and I, I'm like, in my head, going, what are we doing? This is so stupid. What are we doing? And I, I had no idea. He didn't tell me what we we're doing or why. And so after a while, he says, stop. With your eyes closed, what do you see? I said, well, this is starting to turn white, but it's still a coffee. All right, we're going to do it again, but this time twice as much white. Right, exact out. Same thing. We end up doing it four times. And at the end of the fourth time, I had a white ball in this hand and an identical white ball in this hand. So he had me bring my hands all the way up and make it into one. And then bring it into my body and place it wherever it belonged. And he talked to me for a few more minutes. And I don't remember what he said after he brought me out of trance. I have no idea what he said because my subconscious was processing so rapidly at that point. And I got in my car and I pulled out of the parking lot. I go, what the heck did we just do? That was so stupid. Now I'm driving along, so I'm processing visually, which is very cerebral. Okay. And most of the time back then, I processed more from my feelings, which is called kinesthetic processing. Subconsciously, we tend to have a favorite. My favorite back then was kinesthetic so I wasn't really feeling because I'm driving. I'm thinking, right? A couple of days later, I took my car across the street from where I work to get it inspected. And I was coming back across Gay Street in Westchester, which is a fairly busy road, but it's the heart of the borough. And I'm walking across the street. And I look down the street. It's a one-way street. I look down to see if any cars are coming. And it was a beautiful September day. It was a gorgeous day. And there wasn't a single car coming. I remember thinking how strange. And I looked further down the road because I could see the undulating road and see that there were no cars coming. And as I turned, I realized I couldn't hear any cars and I got really present. And in the moment, all of a sudden, I realized my fear that I was not enough. The intensity of that fear had dropped down to about a two. So I started in life coaching, it was a 10, now it's down to a two. I can barely feel it. Simultaneously, my fulfillment jumped from a zero to an eight. And it was like, like I just landed on earth. For the first time in my adult life, I felt like I was enough. For the first time in my adult life, I felt good enough, like I'm worthy of love, and I knew it was permanent. I could feel it. I knew right then and there that I was going to learn how to do this to pay it forward. And that's why I do what I do. Wow. That, yeah. was, that was crazy, man. It was, and it is, and I do that with every client. That's one of the things I do with every single client. So is that is that something that like that because I was thinking about it the whole time that you were talking about it, I kind of went into a trance. Not saying I wasn't listening to you, but I'm sitting there like, man, that's normal. That's if there's normal. something that's bothering me, like, do, should I put it into a hand and like gather it and then get another hand? What I makes me happy? You do that yourself, honestly. Yeah. Um, and there's process that leads up to that too. Mm-hmm. If somebody feels bad about themselves, it's normal, not not necessarily that they should be doing this. But how do, I, how do I say it? It's typical. Let's take away the word normal. It's typical that they're somehow, some way, habitually making themselves wrong with their mm. internal dialogue or their thought life. Whether they're saying, I should have done this, I should have done that, or I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done that. Or for me, prior to 2009, I was a very overt 
And I would think about things I'd done in the past. I mean, literally like something 10 years in my past, 10 years ago that no one else on the planet is thinking about. You go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. That was so stupid. You're such an idiot. You're a moron. And every time you beat yourself up like that, you reinforce that subconscious identity, that subconscious fear. And honestly, that's your, that's a person's subconscious identity. And deep, deep, deep in the subconscious, all communication is visual. There's only pictures down there. Mm-hmm. When you get down to the organic pictures and you change a picture from I'm not worthy into a picture of love, it's powerful. And it's one of the reasons why I have so many five-star Google reviews because I don't do this for the money. I never went into this for money. I think I'm, I'm really successful at it. I think I'm first off, I think I have a gift for it. Um, but I don't brag about that because a gift is a gift. Okay. So there's something given to me, but I do also believe that you're supposed to develop your gifts. And so, you know, I've been, in, I went to school right after that happened. I went into my coaching school, had a school and I put myself into a school for about five years. And I went into a seminar after seminar, after seminar, uh, mostly on the weekends where you would go in on a Friday and come out on a Sunday and by Sunday night, you put in 35 hours on a weekend in a seminar. And I would be exhausted. And I was newly married, but my wife is super supportive. And um, I did that for five years. And I got you know multiple certifications. And after five years of training with the same person, your return on investment diminishes. You know, the amount of time you're putting in versus what you're getting out mm-hmm. gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So I began to look for someone else to study with. And I found a guy who taught Tony Robbins because my, my coach had worked for Tony wow, for okay. many years. And the guy who taught Tony Robbins is named Dr. Richard Bandler. He is the co-founder, co-inventor of neuro-linguistic programming, which mm-hmm. is how Tony got famous in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, NLP is what got Tony where he is. Um, and he's an amazing guy, by the way, that's beside the point. But that's how he, he used that in all, with all of his uh, seminars. Everything, yeah. So... I got a, a license. I'm a licensed master practitioner of NLP. Um, but more important, which is neurolinguistic programming, is I use it every single day. So even though uh, I'm not at the trainer level, my skill set is at the trainer level because you can get a, a master practitioner license, but then if you don't use it, you don't, you really don't develop it. But because I use it every single day in my practice, in my life coaching practice, that I've gotten pretty good at it. I don't want to brag here, but I, I'm good at getting results, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, so Dennis, I'm I'm unfamiliar with that. What is that? Neurolistic, neurolinguistic neuro, program, kind of like neurolinguistic program. Neuro, right? Break it down a lot better than <laughs> Nor does it bring linguistics is the programming package, how you program your subconscious, and it is the structure of communication, like the words you use and mm-hmm. the order you put them in, that either projects a problem into your future or projects a solution into your future. And people are very casual with the way they speak, very casual about the words they use. They don't really, they're not really super selective. And I heard a guy today in, in my course, and he used what's called universals. He used the word always and never. And one of his patterns was anytime there was a challenge where he felt like he might be judged, he, he would run to his head. And that's a pattern. That's one of the patterns I see in life coaching. So it's a, it was a strength for him at some point in his life because he's pretty intellectual. But when you run to your strength over and over and over, eventually it becomes your weakness. Mm-hmm. And so he was very having a very difficult time being aware of what he was feeling. And so we were able to extrapolate from him today that his fear was really that he was not smart enough and that he was afraid he would be judged on that. And if he was judged on being, being smart enough, then people wouldn't love him. Like I said, this stuff doesn't make sense intellectually, right? But that's not uh, our 
emotions come out of the subconscious mm-hmm. okay? because they're feelings. Your subconscious is so much more powerful than your conscious. It's not even close. You could win a battle, but you can never win a war against your subconscious. The strongest force in our experience as human beings is our need to remain consistent with who we see ourselves to be at the subconscious identity level. And the further you get away from that, the more uncertainty you feel. Okay. And when we get too much uncertainty, what do we do? Go back to what we know. And that's what I see a lot of that. And that's what people get stuck. Okay. And that's what I deal with is we call quote unquote stuck states where people are stuck in patterns of behavior in the subconscious. It could be a pattern of depression or anxiety or both. I see that a lot a pattern of ruminating about the past, a pattern of running to their head. I mean, there's not really that many patterns. Um, you know, after you do it for over a decade, like I have, you, you pretty much can recognize them from one person to another. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I've already coached another version of you before, and I know how to get you there. I know how to get you to the other side. And the goal of the program, right, is to eliminate things like regret, like anxiety, like depression. And it's, it's funny, it's funny, not funny, but... When people fill out my intake form, I say, what are your top three goals? Say, I'd like to have less depression. I'd like to have less anxiety. And so if you think about that language pattern, it means they still want to have some depression, still want to have some anxiety, right? Because people don't even like realize Like you said, the words matter. Okay. Like you said, the words matter. The right. words that you use. Right. Words, words matter, but also they don't have what's called a frame of possibility, which is one of the steps in coaching, is to create what's possible. So if you, you know, if you don't believe, like I had a, a 13 year old girl, her parents brought her in and broke her name, but she's really super smart little girl. And she had a, a habit of cutting, right. Mm-hmm. Running away from home and, and attempting suicide. And I don't think there were serious attempts, but her parents were at their wit's end and they took her to all kinds of therapy. Uh, they finally out of desperation, took her up to, I think it was Connecticut and they put her into an institution a high end institution. And she was there for three months. And when she came out, she was no better. And I'm oftentimes people's last stop, okay? Because they don't life coach. What's the life coach, right? So they bring her to me and we go through the whole eight session program and there's still some depression. I'm like, Brooke, what's going on with you? She said, well, I'm going to have depression for the rest of my life. I said, what are you talking about? She says, every single medical profession professional in that facility told her that she would have depression for the rest of her life. And when I told her that wasn't true, we had this major aha moment and the depression went away, right? It really literally did because I'd already done the hypnosis to get rid of it. But because she didn't have the frame of possibility, it didn't leave her. And when we create that frame of possibility, she was able to get rid of the depression. And so her mother, she wanted a puppy, right? So she got a puppy and a couple of months later, the puppy died. So her mom's like freaking out. So her mom brings her back to me and I sit her down and say, how are you doing? She goes, oh. I'm sad, but anyone would be sad if their dog died. Mm-hmm. I said, are you depression? She said, no, I'm okay. So, you know, frame of possibility is super important. So oftentimes when people uh, first engage with me, I ask them to read my Google reviews mm-hmm. because the re- Google reviews accomplish that step for me because they tell them those Google reviews are typical results, not to sell them into the program, but to create what's possible. Because I don't want you to think you're still going to have anxiety or still have depression. And I often laugh with people about that. I see that back and say, oh, so you still want to have some depression. You still want to have some anxiety. Because they don't have the frame of possibility often when they come to me. If people knew what was going on in my office, I wouldn't have time for this call today. 
right? I would be so busy. It would probably take months to get into CME because literally I'm able to help people get over depression and anxiety completely and permanently. And I've done it for a decade and it's not that hard. Well, I think it's interesting that you, you know, you've brought it up um, from the beginning of our conversation, just about how your emotion, not only your thoughts, but your emotions lead to those thoughts, right? Which then leads to the actions that you take on a daily basis. Well, I think it's the thoughts that lead to the emotion. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. And then the action you take or don't take. Yeah. And then right. do don't. you feel is that that's why people get stuck in that cycle? Because you just constantly get stuck thinking certain well, things is- that make you feel a certain way and then act a certain way? Yeah. So if you talk, you're using the word certain, okay. And one of the mm. subconscious emotional needs is a need called certainty. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also called control or comfort or security. But people need to get a certain feeling. So depression and anxiety gives you a very specific feeling that people know they're certain of it. Mm-hmm. So even though they don't want to feel it, if they can't attain certainty in a different way, they're going to go back to those patterns to attain them. Remember in the beginning I was talking about attaining needs mm-hmm. or sustaining them? Mm-hmm. So like anger, people talk about anger issues all the time. To me, it's not anger, it's significance. Significance is another subconscious emotional need. Now, if someone feels insignificant or feels like they're not enough, they might use anger to attain significance in the moment. Because anger is always about feeling like you're important. Mm-hmm. Because somebody, maybe they made you feel unimportant some way or somehow, they really couldn't have done that to you if you didn't already feel it inside. Right? So that person might get angry over and over. That becomes a pattern. And I've seen that. That's a very common depression and anger. We call it a crazy eight. You go back between those two with some space in between. They're not just jumping from one to the other. Um, but that's a, to answer your question is mm-hmm. it does give them a certain, it, it meets three of three to four subconscious emotional needs. And I always teach this in my program because um, so many times people come to me and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with them. The truth of the matter is there's nothing wrong with them. They just have a learned behavior that's not serving them. It's attaining needs, but it's not helping them to grow as a human being. And that's, so there's four primary needs and there's two needs of fulfillment. The two needs in order to be fulfilled and happy in life, we have to grow. There's no standing still in life. You're either going forward or backwards. I mm-hmm. talked about stuck states earlier because that's what we call it in the industry. But a stuck state is actually someone going backwards in that area of their life. Because the longer they stay stuck, the worse things get. That means they're actually going further and further back. And anyone that I talk to is stuck for a length of time knows this. And it's not anyone. That's not true. Sometimes I ask people, what's your life going to be like if you don't change? And they go, oh, it's just going to be more of the same. No, it's not. It's going to get worse. And I'm talking from experience. Okay, because I think I spent, and I don't know, right? Because I wasn't in my right mind, but I think I spent about 20 years being depressed off and on. Okay, um, but that attained my needs. I also had that diagnosis, but fortunately, was able to break free of all that. And uh, and, and like you were today. saying, yeah, at that time, right, while you were going through that twenty-year period, um, yeah. you know, dealing with the depression, were you? Did you say you were still able to meet your needs? You know, and kind of maintain a, what you would, uh, I guess, consider a, a decent lifestyle at that time, or did you? always want something bigger did you say always i always wanted more if you think back from my what i was telling you about my level mm-hmm. of fulfillment back then mm-hmm. was a zero right mm-hmm. two on a good day and negative yeah. two on a bad day i wouldn't call that any quality of life for me you know and it's amazing how much better my life is today after having gone through that and then growing and then you know and continuing to study and i will continue to study um i don't see an end to that for me because 
I just love this stuff and I just want to get, I want to be the best that I can be at it. I want to be able to help, you know, people faster, deeper, more profoundly. And so, you know, I know that there's a, a lot more for me to learn. Of course. I, I mean, I can't even imagine how rewarding it must feel. Um, to, yeah. I mean, when, you see it work for yourself. If you break down certain yeah. barriers. Yeah, for sure. That's true. He, he experienced mm-hmm. it himself. Mm-hmm. So, um, is that the sole focus of the practice, Dennis? Is it usually headspace, mental clarity when people are coming to you, or are they coming to you because they need help emotional, getting fit? Okay. Emotional growth is the primary goal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to give them the tools. So I always want to get them to an eight or a nine of fulfillment and happiness. And people come to me, usually not above a four, sometimes below, um, sometimes below a zero. Sometimes they'll come a little bit higher, but they just feel like, like, um, you know, they're doing well, but they, they feel like they're just want to get to that next level. And they may be at a higher level. Um, but typically there's an area of their life that they just feel they need, they get feel stuck in, right? And that's where they go to meet their needs. And remember, when I say need, these are subconscious needs. You could uh, make the analogy that it's like air, food, water, and sleep as our physical needs. We have certainty we have uh, uncertainty, we have significance, and we have love slash connection as our four primary needs. Um, and those needs get met through behavioral patterns, whether it's anxiety meets all those needs, depression can meet those needs, anger can meet those needs, regret can meet those needs, beating yourself up can meet those needs. So all kinds of negative stuff that can meet those needs, but not need, meet the needs of growth and fulfillment. And that's why people feel stuck. And until I help them and show them how to get out of their comfort zone, because that's what they got to do. Because even though a comfort zone is probably a misnomer here because it doesn't feel comfortable. But if you're not growing, you're in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly, it's funny you say it because that was the first thing that popped in my head when you were saying that it's we, we know it from training, right? That you're not truly growing or getting better and improving if you don't feel some level of pain or discomfort through yeah. your training, right? Yeah. If yeah, you go into the gym and walk back out and with the same level of energy as when you went in there, you probably didn't break down too many barriers or walls that day to improve yourself. Oh, of course. You just right. went there to check off the box and say you did it. But how much better are you getting over time? And to hear you say that, right, I was just like, it was like that light bulb effect. I was like, wow. You know, like it's, 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 it's the same. It's, it's the same exact thing. And, you know, I know personally when I, I know when I stop growing, because I'll start to hear negative self-talk and mm-hmm. my head starts to get pervasive. I go, uh-oh, I'm going backwards. I need to mm-hmm. find a way to kick my butt. And go find a way to grow. And that's, you know, I'm all, I didn't tell you guys, but I'm also a certified fire walk instructor. So I teach people how to walk across my coals in their bare feet. Wow. And I have <laughs> seminars that we do that. Yeah. Um, we don't do them often, but we do them. And the reason I did that was twofold. One is I knew it would be uncomfortable to go because I mean, you have to do weird stuff in this. This is a three or four day program. Mm-hmm. And you're there from early in the morning. You're there until late at night because you got to walk in the dark, not walking in the day, daylight unless you're really super advanced at fire walking. <laughs> Um, and one of the things is you're sticking a needle through your hand, you're breaking uh, cinder block with your hand. I mean, you're breaking an arrow with your throat. You know, there's a lot of um, things like outside anything. of your comfort zone that you have to do. But the most uncomfortable thing we had to do was the last night of the firewalking certification course is you have to walk across the hot coals 108 times. Hold on, Dennis. Hold on. We, we, we got to take this. We got to take this back here. You should have uh, big run it back. All right. So run that back. So your certification process was this. You're saying the breaking the cinder blocks, the arrow. First of all, snap, arrow snap. Yeah. So are you snapping the head of the arrow? The on point the of the arrow right here and the rest of the arrow against the wall. 
And we you do walk- a rebar bend. That's what we forgot about the rebar bend. Take the rebar here against my throat and put it against your throat, and then we walk together until we bend that rebar in half. Dennis, I don't think that's possible, man. I'm gonna be honest. I don't. I, so okay. Go on my so, Facebook page and go through my photos, and you'll see pictures of it. I am I've, going I've, to. I've okay. seen some crazy. I didn't think it was like possible either. I didn't think you could do the arrow snap when I first thought about it, and and there's a lot of things. And then see, that's the thing about firewalking and doing that stuff is, again, the frame of possibility, right? So when people come to a firewalk, I often say to them, it's not even important whether you walk across the hot coals or not. In fact, sometimes we'll sell a buddy pass because a lot of people want to do the firewalk, but nobody wants to do it with them. So we'll give them a buddy pass at discounted rate, and then the buddy will come in and go, I'm just here with my friend. I'm not walking across the hot coals. You can't make me walk. Go, okay, man, it's fine. It's cool. And then I'll tell them, it's not even important whether you walk or not. You don't have to walk. You really don't. What is important in a firewalking seminar is that when you step up to the fire lane and you decide whether you're going to walk across those hot coals or not, that you base the decision trusting your inner voice. And if the inner voice says, this is not right for me, walk away. As the inner voice says, walk across the hot coals, walk. But not to make that decision based in fear. Mm. Because too many times in life, people base the decisions on, in fear on what might go wrong. Oh, I can't do that. What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? Right. So we went bigger. I've had bigger breakthroughs for people by not walking. In fact, one of the guys who works in my gym had a huge uh, um, spiritual experience by not walking. And he told me later, he felt like God came down and touched him on the shoulder. So it's really profound experiences, you know, the really immersion type seminars. And you grow a lot. You're pushed way out of your comfort zone. But the other thing is, is when you do walk across the high court and you get to the other side and your feet aren't burnt and go, how did I do that? I thought that was impossible. I wonder what else is possible that I've been telling myself is impossible. And you create new opportunities for people to step into what might be possible for them. And I've had people go on and, and like blow me away. I coached a guy who's on the national stage now and I knew he had the ability to do it. Mm. And I told him, all you have to do, you have to pay this forward. So, so during the 108 walks, did you yeah, burn your feet? Uh, 108, did you burn your feet a little bit? During the 108, was there a little burn during the 108? So, come on. We did 107. Okay. Right? Actually, <laughs> we did lots of 10. I was leading it. It was maybe eight people there. A guy from Mexico, a guy from Texas, a guy from Chicago. There were people from uh, out of the country that were at this fireworking seminar. And it was only eight of us. And so I was the leader. I don't know why. I guess because leaders lead and I chose to lead. So we did 10 laps and they'd stop us. They'd get fresh hot coals and put them back out. We'd do 10 more laps. Nice. When we got to 107, they stopped us, put us into a huddle. And they took the fire walk and extended it 40 feet. So now the other ones were maybe 10 feet. And then there's this opening 10 feet. So you're doing like circles. But now they took it and it's 40 feet of hot coals. And you got to walk across. This is your, your 108. It's your underneath walk. So I'm walking, and one of the processes that you do is you hold your hands up, you look up, and you say, ice cold, ice cold, ice cold. But I see sparks coming up out of the corner of my eyes. Like, How am I not getting burned? How am I not getting burned? Like, I mean, you know, it's one thing to do the 107, but this is a 40-foot firewalk. This is pretty, pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And I get off there, and I'm not burned. Did I have a couple of blisters here and there? Yeah, yeah. All right. But I wasn't burnt, okay? I mean, really, we called them kisses. Um, I wasn't in any pain, and uh, it was an amazing experience. 
really was. So and I'm also, so I'm going to just let you know, mm-hmm. I, I also am certified neurohypnotic repatterning. Okay. And that's just an, another facet of NLP. Um, and there's specific language that you use, things that you want to uh, emote from the client before you put them under, um, like laughter. Okay, which is really profound because laughter changes the neural pathways in your brain. It releases chemicals into your brain that opens up your subconscious to new learning. Mm-hmm. When you get somebody in there and you get them laughing before you put them into a trance, it tends to be it tends to be a more profound experience for them. And there's really cool, a lot of cool things you do in, in, in hypnosis. One's called an arm catalepsy. And te- if I'm boring you and go somewhere you don't want to go, let me know. Oh, but no, I'll put somebody going, down. Going, man. Uh, so let me back up. First off, anytime I put somebody in hypnosis, I tell them ahead of time, it's probably going to feel like one of two things. One is you're either going to open your eyes and go, I'm not sure I did that right, because it doesn't feel like you're in a trance. Or two, they're going to open their eyes and go, and blink, you know, because mm-hmm. again, they don't realize how deep they are, because either mm-hmm. way, they feel like you're in a trance. But I'll have them ask the questions of their subconscious. The subconscious knows of some change it can make on their behalf that would cause or create a significant improvement in the quality of life. And I'll tell them, you're not going to get a loud, booming yes, but you get an inclination, you get a feeling, just articulate that to me. Once they do, I'll walk over and I'll, I'll lift up their arm and straighten it out and say, I'm just going to raise your arm and I'm not going to tell you to set it down. And I'll let go and their arm stays there. Okay? Really cool. And then I'll tell them your subconscious is going to lower the arm at the same rate of speed it's making a change for you. And you'll see the subconscious arm going down real slow. And I say, while your subconscious is working, I'm going to occupy your conscious mind. Because I don't want you trying to figure this out. Your subconscious mind doesn't need any help. And then I take them on a guided journey with a bunch of metaphors within that because that's how we program the subconscious. Empowering metaphor. And then when I see their arm come down, I bring them halfway out. I ask them to ask the subconscious what the change was. And when they have the answer, they can open their eyes and come back in the room and decide whether or not they want to share. Sometimes they share, sometimes they don't. I don't need to know what the change was, right? So I got a lot of tools in the toolbox for helping people. It's not just one type of diagnosis. Um, and that's kind of my catch-all at the end. Like, it's just, what's your subconscious want to work on? Mm. Sometimes I have an inkling of where I want them to go, so I have a conversation in advance of that. It's something I see that they could make an improvement on, and sometimes that does guide that process or influence that process, and sometimes it doesn't. You know? And I figure whatever they get out of it is what they're supposed to get out of it. But the bottom line is I want them leaving me at an 8 to a 9 of happiness and fulfillment and have the ability to coach themselves to make that sustainable. And that's what I do. I love that. I kind of want to go back to the kind of just reframing, reframing your thinking, right? And just believing that just there's just more possible. Um, because once you were able to tap into that and realize that these things were possible in your future and getting other people to realize that from a business standpoint, right? A financial standpoint, because you are a business owner, right? You are sure. an entrepreneur. And you may not know my story right, but I'm somebody who's stepping away from the day-to-day, you know, corporate lifestyle into the entrepreneur world. And one of the biggest questions you have for yourself is like, is it possible to make that amount of money that you have, that goal that you have set for yourself, a financial goal? And one thing you hear from a lot of business coaches is they say, if you can just kind of shift the way you look at that dollar amount and say like, if you can make 50,000 a year, why can't you make 100,000 a year? And if you can make 100,000 a year, why can't you make 500,000? And once again, I hear a lot of the similarities between the way you get people to just shift their thinking around maybe certain emotions and feelings that they have. And I want to know, is this certain, is this what you also apply to your business, right? Like, do you have certain business goals that you have that come up and you say, like, hmm, 
am I just thinking about this one way and do I just need to maybe look at it and from another angle and then the possibilities are endless? So, or is it a little bit harder to transfer over? For me, and this is just for me, right? Mm -hmm. I, um, I look at what's working and if what's working is going to get me to my goal, I keep doing that. If not, then I might step away from that until I find another vehicle, get that and place down and go back to what's working. But now I have this working too. So then I got more um, irons in the fire, if you will, mm -hmm. or more hooks out there to, to reel in the fish, right? Yeah. Um, but okay, Henry Ford and Confucius both said, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. You're right. Right? Yeah. And so I'm, a, I'm much more of an optimist I'm, and I'm much more of someone who, uh, you know, believes that you can achieve whatever you want. And mm. But most importantly for me, it's not about getting somewhere or getting to a certain point. It's about here and now. It's about enjoying what you have. Right. Because I think from that space is where you can really create more. Are you familiar you know, with, a lot? Go ahead. Are you familiar with Simon Sinek? Say it again. Simon Sinek. The no. guy from T TED Talks, right? Yeah, we, we talked about him before. Um, okay. And he's, he's a published author. He's wrote, written a couple of books. And one of them is uh, called The Infinite Game. Okay. Right. And that is kind of exactly what he talks about. Right. It's like you don't want to just look for the end point of your goal or the end point of your business and say, once we make this, we're great. Right. Be present right here, you know, right now in your business, yeah. in your day to day life. And if you can just show up and do that day after day, the rest will will unfold for itself. You don't have to worry about all those other things. Right. The goal will accomplish itself. But then you're going to want to keep going. You, you know, know what's funny you said is you don't have to worry about those things. And I hear people say and they put it in their intake form all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, if I get here, then I don't have to worry about it. So you're telling me subconsciously you have to worry about it until you get there. Mm -hmm. Right? We don't have to worry about anything. That's no. a choice. Right? It, and there's no top. Exactly. Yeah. There's no top here. Because when you get to the, what you think is a top, there's another top. So you might as well enjoy it. Right? And that's my philosophy. You know, life's too short. It's really short. I, I'm 61, okay? I can't believe I'm 61. I can't believe where the time went. I will say this though, the past, uh, since 2009, been the best years of my life, hands down. And best years of my life for two reasons. One, so I have an amazing wife, my best friend, and a blessing to me. Man, I appreciate her every day. And number two, is I go to work today, every day, because I get to help people. I get to help on a profound level. It changed their lives and it gives me a tremendous amount of joy and satisfaction to be able to have impacts like that on the world. Cause I know that's like dropping a pebble in the pond and that ripple goes out and it goes out and out and out. I know there's people that I'm affecting that I don't even know. Yep. And you know, I, I think, like I said to you guys, growth and contribution. So I get to do both of those in my, in my coaching practice and I get to co contribute in a way that's very significant for me. Oh, and, and I feel very, very blessed to have found this path. I believe I'm here for a reason. And I believe this is the reason. I mean, I'll tell you what, Dash. I, I mean, I, I mean, just that. listening to love you that. was was uh, was crazy. It was it was, it was so thought provoking, um, and there were so many things that you touched on that I had just never even heard before. Um, so, so much I haven't touched on that I could. I mean, oh, I, oh, <laughs> and, oh. Well, this isn't the end. Um, but in the essence of time, just because uh, of. <clears throat> What's your content rec for the people then, Dennis? What what would you recommend? What's something that you've 
thoroughly enjoyed that you would recommend the public engage in? So one of the things I think is profoundly important on so many different levels is being vulnerable, allowing yourself to be vulnerable, right? But so many times people come to me with the concept of vulnerability being a weakness. And if you think about it, the large majority of people who get awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor get it awarded posthumously. Most of them are dead because they died in combat. In order to do what they did during that combat, they had to have made themselves vulnerable. Vulnerability takes balls. It's a strength, not a weakness. So I love Brene Brown. I don't know if you guys are familiar mm-hmm. with Brene. Mm-hmm. She has a, a, some wonderful TED Talks. And she's really genuine and heartfelt and entertaining. And Brene Brown has several TED Talks, but the one I would recommend is the one on vulnerability. Really, really good. And she has one that follows that up. It's just as good, too. So Brene Brown, and they're short. They're only, like, you know, TED Talks in 20, 23 minutes, right? So that's that's my first one that I would recommend. Love that. Brene Love Brown, that. TED yeah. Talk. You, you, would, you, would, you would like it. It's right up there with that. I mean, I'm going to have to engage. Stuff. And the other thing I tell you, you uh, you had to apologize because you said you felt like went in trance. One of the things I do when I teach people is I tell stories. Okay. And I tell them I'm going to tell stories because when I was in therapy, if my therapist told me stories, it used to bother me. Like, I don't really want to hear your stories. I just want you to help me. Okay. But when you tell stories, people go in the trance and they code information as the way it fits into their map of the world and they make it fit there. So stories teach directly to the subconscious. Okay, so all the work I do, the large majority of the work I do is figuring out what's going on in your subconscious and let's create strategies and implement those strategies to change what you're doing from perpetuating your problems into finding solutions and finding that happiness and fulfillment and really living the life that you deserve. You know, everyone deserves to be happy, right? That's the plan. That's the goal. That's the plan and the goal, but a lot of people find it very elusive and I did for a long time. Because like you said, they're not, we're not being present in the moment. We just got to be here. Yeah, seriously. Be here. With yeah. us being here, Dikembe, what's, that, what's your content, right? That's going to be my, mine's going to be uh, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. You know, I would highly recommend people check it out and just kind, kind of just add on to what it is that we're talking about here today. Don't look for that end point in whatever it is that we're doing. Just enjoy the process, you know, trust the process, you know, like, like to say, because if you get to the end of whatever it is that we're sitting here trying to build up, if we said, oh, we need to get to 50,000 downloads, you know, for our podcast by the end of this year. Great. We've hit it. The journey there was was cool. Now, what are we going to do for 50,001? You know, is it are we done with it? Do we chalk it up and say we're finished? No, because the way and we've talked about this before, the way we look at this thing is it's a never ending train ride. Right. Like we're riding this thing to the wheels go off and we're just here to enjoy it. And once again, if you read this book, you tap into what he's saying in the infinite game, you realize that if you can shift your thinking and shift the way you look at a lot of these things, then it becomes so much more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Albert, you guys have such what you uh, got for us. You guys, got, <laughs> you, guys, you guys came out with such great ones. They're also I told thoughtful. you I was excited for today's talk. Yeah, I was excited clearly. I, I mean, everyone should be excited. Oh, we didn't even ask. And I'll get to my content right after. We'll send it home with Dennis, that one. What, what are you sipping on, sir? We'll send home uh, with that one because it's happy hour time. I'm sipping on a rum and lemonade. I like mm. rum and lemonade. Mm. Okay. Which, what's the rum of choice, Dennis? Uh, there's one down in uh, Total Wine called uh, Kana. Okay. Okay. And it's super, super smooth. 
Okay. Con- yeah, Dikembe's a big rum guy. I love rum. So when I heard you were drinking, I love it. four. The okay. best rum I've ever had. How do you spell, how you spell it? C-A-N-A? L-A-C-A-N-A. Perfect. It might be Lacana Grande. We're going to try that. We're going to get that. Yeah. We'll let you know what you think. Thank you. Yeah, you should. Um, so, uh, to my, send us home. My content rec is nowhere near these guys. I was just trying to get fired up for the podcast on the way in. I like this. Light and there's a YouTube channel that I love. It is super hardo. Uh, it's called Machiavelli Motivation. Oh yeah. They make gym videos. You're a personal trainer, Dennis, so you you might appreciate it. It's honestly just a bunch of weight banging and clanging, um, guys yelling, crazy music. But it always gets me fired up, and yeah. I'm fired up now after talking to Dennis for 40 minutes. So sometimes you need that. Little <laughs> I'm gonna spark, watch it again on the way home. Motivational spark, you know. Yeah, Dennis, is there any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to leave us on? Um, just that, you know, if anybody's interested, I do offer the first session of my eight complimentary, 100% complimentary. Um, at the end of that session, we decide together collectively if it's a fit. Okay. If it's a fit, we move forward. If it's not, we part ways. There's no obligation, no pressure. And I never pressure anybody into doing it because they got to want to do it. And, and I want them to want to do it because I have 55 star Google reviews and I don't want anything but that. And if somebody comes yeah. in and doesn't want to do it, they're not going to have that five star experience. So I don't take all, you know, I don't take everybody. So if you come to me, make sure you want it. And I promise to deliver the goods. And where can they find you, Dennis? Where can we find you? Uh, WestchesterPALifeCoach.com. Okay. And uh, there's a contact, you know, contact form on there. Perfect. If you there, I'll, I'll reach out to them, give them a call and, I would chat before they even set up that complimentary session to see if they even want to do that. So we'll make it super easy for people. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll plug that in the description there for you too so people can just find it in the uh, show notes. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. No problem. Uh, much for problem. Dennis, thank you again so much uh, for coming on. I truly appreciate it. This we'll be great. in touch as always. This is My great. pleasure. I really enjoyed it, guys. Thank you so much for having me. So did we. And as always, enjoy the first sip.